if you're new here, I'm Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. This is my good friend, Skip, Hello. also one of the pastors here for now. <laughs> uh, if you would like to, uh, after the service, um, you can uh, head over to the info table and fill out a guest card. Uh, if you do so, it's a way for us to get in touch with you and let you know what other ministry opportunities are available to you here. Um, and also, if you do so, we'll have a gift for you. Uh, the gift comes from a ministry that we support overseas in India. Um, but also, I want to tell you, and this to me is more important than all of that, uh, if you're here for the first time, uh, God has sent uh, His Spirit, uh, the same Spirit by which He created the universe, uh, the same Spirit by which He uh, brought Christ from the grave uh, to this place here and now to speak to you this morning. And it's our prayer each week as a leadership team uh, and our confident expectation that as you open your heart to receive from him, uh, that God will speak to you. So welcome to you. We're, gonna, we're moving from Ecclesiastes into the Proverbs. That's right. I'm really looking forward to this. Yeah. Let me pray yeah. for you. Thanks. God, I thank you so much for uh, the Proverbs, for the, the book of wisdom, and for the perspective uh, that you give us there. I pray... Uh, Again, this morning, as we pray every week, God, that we would um, we would honor the time with open ears and open hearts to receive from you. Give us the capacity to see where truth needs to land in our own lives. Mm -hmm. Just thank you for Skip. Speak through him now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks. Well, if you and I were sitting across from each other at a restaurant, not in, a, not in this kind of context, but a more intimate context, and I were to say to you something like, uh, so how's life? You, you may not want to share with me how life is. I can, I can certainly appreciate that. But my guess is, if I said to you, how's life? My guess is there's two or three main things that are just below the surface that immediately come to mind. Two or three main things that you, say, you, you, you would say, well, uh, uh, these things have been pressing on my heart and on my mind, and uh, things I'm wrestling with or celebrating, uh, just things that are a big deal in my life. Uh, it may be uh, relationships that are precious to you. It may be um, a financial situation, whether it feels like a blessing or a curse, right? Uh, it may be a health issue. But my guess is that immediately something would come to mind. And that is the, uh, the heart of where you're living at at that moment. Well, today I want to talk about what it looks like to live skillfully, to navigate those issues that immediately come to mind in a way that is skillful. I don't know about you, but there have been times in my life when uh, I have acted unskillfully, right? In those most precious situations uh, that I can, I can think of, if, with, without very much energy at all, I can go back in my mind to the moment when I said or did that, and I, I have regretted it ever since. Even if the consequences are minimal, I just, oh gosh, that was not skillful. That was not wise. 
right? Am I alone? Can you, is that, is that your story as well? Those moments while you were living life when you behaved in a way that was unskillful. Well, today I'm going to share with you a principle to, ordin- to uh, orientate your living well by. Uh, a principle that if you will call it to mind frequently, if you will keep it in mind always, a principle that will orientate you so that uh, those moments are few, if at all, when you can move through life in a way that is skillful. Uh, uh, I'm also going to offer you a key for recognizing wisdom's evil twin. Okay? Today, I want to talk about an invitation to value quality. We're all surrounded by quality. You you recognize quality when you see it, but there is a move in our culture, and I believe it's not just today, but probably for all of uh, uh, the history of human life on earth, there has been a move to devalue quality, to have quality before you and to say, "Um, I choose this over here, this thing that is not near as quality as this over here. Uh, You know, it's actually a sign of maturity to know and value quality. We often think of maturity as when you start growing hair on your chest or when you finally are free to take a girl on a date driving your mom's car, something like that. That's maturity, right? But in reality, maturity is being able to recognize what's truly valuable and to choose it. Uh, I've noticed a pattern in our lives that when we are kids, that uh, that kids beg their parents. Any parents in this room who have been begged by your children? Oh, yes, we're actually working on that at my house right now. If you ask a second time, Don't dare ask a third, right? I will not be begged at. I can't stand it, right? So the kids, a childish behavior is to beg. And what I've noticed is is that often kids are begging for junk, right? Dad, can I have cereal before dinner? No, you cannot have cereal before dinner. One is quality. One is junk. I know that I'm having cereal before dinner, but that's altogether different. I own this house, and I own this box of cereal, and I will eat everything your mother puts on my plate. I do every time. And so uh, the rules are different for me. But kids, they beg for junk. They say, Dad, can we have a snack before dinner? Dad, can we have this piece of plastic that you will pay $100 for, right? And that will not survive the rest of Christmas Day. So kids are begging, and often these kids beg for junk. And somewhere in their life, there becomes a switch. The kid grows up and becomes a parent. He raises little beggars. And as those beggars get older, that kid morphs from being the one who once begged his parents to being the one who is begging his children. Am I right? You tracking with me? Any, Any parents of adults who are now begging your kids, begging your kids not for junk, but please, please apply wisdom. Please know what's valuable and choose the greater value. Uh, I'm begging you 
And that's how we find the, the mighty sage this morning. Opening the pages of the book of Proverbs, the mighty sage, the author, uh, tradition tells us, is Solomon himself. And he is now begging his adult son, please, please, apply wisdom. And all you're getting, all the stuff you're getting, the, you're getting an education, you're getting a girlfriend, you're getting a new car, you're, you're getting a little cash in your pocket, please, in all you're getting, get wisdom, I beg you. And so Solomon, uh, he, he writes this whole book, he's, he's communicating wisdom to his son, and he's trying to explain this concept of wisdom. And he works through a number of metaphors as he does, um, he he describes wisdom as he sees it show up in little critters in the forest. He says, wisdom is like the ant. Wisdom is like the, the, the rock badger. Wisdom is like the locust and the lizard. And he just works through all these little metaphors throughout the book. Uh, but the one metaphor that he keeps returning to, the one I think is, he's most proud of, the one that he feels like has had the greatest success in alluring the attention of his son is that he takes wisdom, skillful living, and he personifies it. He takes wisdom and he, he gives wisdom nice legs. He says, wisdom is a woman. I want to introduce you to woman wisdom, son, because I want you to fall in love with her. And so woman wisdom shows up towards the end of the book shows up as this mother who is the mother of all mothers, right? She is the standard that uh, I, I often hear. Uh, so many other women kind of resent <laughs> that, that they may be compared to woman wisdom, right? This, uh, the, the Proverbs 31 woman. Um, the Solomon also describes woman wisdom as a married woman. She is wisdom personified. And he contrasts that against another woman. He also puts legs on and personifies the opposite of wisdom, foolishness. And this woman folly, she is described throughout the book as a prostitute, as an adulteress. But woman wisdom is for sure the prize. Woman wisdom is this great value to be achieved. This, the, the passage that I'm responsible for, which is Proverbs 1 through 8, which I don't know if, you, if you've ever preached a sermon, you know that's impossible to cover eight chapters in 40 minutes and keep your interest. Um, but uh, just in that one section... This is some of the words the, uh, uh, Solomon uses to describe the work of woman wisdom, uh, the, the way she is, that her profit is better than gold. In other words, having woman wisdom in your life will serve you better than having much gold in your life. She is more precious than jewels. That her ways are pleasantness. If you've ever been around a, a, a fool, you know that there's no ease around a fool. That, her, that, that the fool's way is not pleasant at all. But this, this woman, woman wisdom, 
Her ways are pleasantness. All her paths are peace. A tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Nothing you desire can compare with her. This is woman wisdom. And so I, wanna, I want you to have, have a, an experience with her. I want you to encounter her now. If you would turn in your Bibles to Proverbs 9. start at verse 1, and we'll meet wisdom personified as a woman. Proverbs 9, verse 1, it says, Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has set out her young women to call from the highest places in the town. And this is what they're calling. They're saying, whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, come, eat my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse. And he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be wiser still. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. For by me your days will be multiplied, and years will be added to your life. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself, but if you scoff, you alone will bear it. So we discover in this passage a number of things. This woman, wisdom, has set a table. She has set out an invitation. Please come. Anyone comes. Not just the, the, the top, uh, the big yuckety yucks of the community, but even the simplest one. I'm inviting you. If you would come and sit at my table and drink my drink and eat my bread, if you would do that, then you would begin to gain insight. You would begin to have for yourself wisdom. And she even says what the key ingredient in all this mixing, the bread and the wine and the meat, everything that she has available to table, she says, all of this, the main ingredient, the base ingredient, the key element, all of it is, I'll give it away for free right now before you even come, all of it is generated out of the fear of the Lord. The understanding of the Holy One is the genesis of skillful living, of being wise. Uh, I think for us, we, we often, in, in this century, in this time, in this culture, we wrestle with this idea of the fear of the Lord. Uh, and maybe, maybe a more, uh, uh, maybe a more uh, acceptable translation for us, one that we can more readily uh, digest and connect with, would be uh, respect of the Lord, um, a, very, a very intense respecting of God. It has to do with God's nature. A wise man responds appropriately to the character of God. It is the beginning of his wisdom the key ingredient for wisdom. To fear the Lord is to, to respectfully anticipate the consequences of God being himself, powerful, holy, just, 
judge, the one source of all things. And as we respectfully anticipate Him being faithful to Himself, we gain wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But that phrase is kind of a a churchy phrase. We use that because we find it in Scripture, but we don't necessarily ourselves have a real working understanding of what that means in our day-to-day life. But the author of Proverbs, Solomon, gives us that in the woman wisdom. He says, the woman wisdom, above all things, her wisdom begins with fearing the Lord. Now, we know what the work of a doctor looks like. Many of us have seen that. We, we see the syringe come out, right? Um, uh, we know what the work of a builder looks like. We we're, we're just were watching it just now. We, we, we can imagine a man swinging a hammer as a builder. We know what these types of labor look like, but do we know what the labor of fearing the Lord looks like? And so Solomon in this passage, one through eight, describes the work, the labor of wisdom. He says, wisdom is receiving wise words. Have you ever heard something and said to yourself, I know that that's true, but that's not what I want to hear. Wisdom receives those words. In fact, wisdom actually uh, says that if you would respond to my rebuke, even the harshest thing I would say to you, the thing that would require you to repent in turn, that if you would respond to that, I will pour out my heart to you. It is, it is the gift that keeps on giving to respond uh, to wisdom, to receive wise words. Wisdom also treasures up the commands of God. Wisdom is making her ear attentive to wisdom. We, we tune into so many voices, so many noises, so, much, so many messages in our, in our day-to-day life, but do we tune into, make our ear attentive to wisdom? Do we incline our hearts to understanding? Wisdom, the work of wisdom, is to call out for insight. I'll just tell you, recently I have uh, kind of doubled down on my effort to call out for insight. To, to, not, to not try to figure it out on my own, whatever it is, uh, on my own, but to just very quickly just run to the Lord and say, this is my situation. I'm calling out for insight. Will you give me wisdom? And I've just enjoyed the pleasure uh, of that, these quick little connections. What does the work of wisdom look like? Uh, Proverbs 8, 30 through 31 describes it. This says that this woman wisdom was with the Lord as he was creating the heavens and the earth. And as that little poem is being wrapped up, woman wisdom says, Then I was beside him, speaking of the Lord, like a master workman. I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always. Rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the, in the children of men. What does the work of wisdom look like? Wisdom looks like rejoicing in the presence of God. 
Wisdom looks like delighting in his inhabited world. Wisdom actually looks like finding yourself in creation and enjoying that. Wisdom looks like finding yourself in creation and noticing little... That's the wisdom of Steve Veldstra, to, to just notice how nature works, right? Uh, uh, notice how, how things function and, and even little subtle differences between plants and animals. It's wisdom to delight in that and also to delight in the children of men. Uh, emotional intelligence, uh, an appreciation for, for the person standing in front of you is the work of wisdom. In fact, quite honestly, those moments that I described earlier, when I, I can go, I can think back to, the, to a moment in life when I screwed up. Uh, often, it was because I was not appreciating the opportunity that was just before me, the person or the place. And there is an evil twin to this woman wisdom. Interestingly enough, she actually looks very similar. She too is inviting the simple to a banquet. She's setting a table, serving tasty treats like stolen water, bread eaten in secret. But she is altogether different than wisdom. You know, when I was a kid, I remember my mom used to come down and she would, I had a, my bedroom was in the basement. She'd come down and pray with me, and every night she'd read me a children's story. We had a, a large leather-bound book of Bible stories. It had the, the gold edge, you know, around the outside. And every, every story was on this page was the story, and on this page was a, a, a painting of, of the events of the story. It was a, a very nice book. It was a all the Bible characters look very European. You know what I mean? That type of just a fancy book. And there was one story that I wanted read to me almost every night. And my mom uh, at one point uh, refused. She said, if you're going to read that story, you're going to have to do it on your own. And that was the end of story time. But the, uh, the story, I remember the image. The image was um, a king sitting on the throne. It was Solomon sitting on the throne. And uh, just a striking, man, it was, it's burned into my memory. Before him are these two women. One of them looks heartbroken and the other one uh, looks angry and like just kind of torqued off. And a soldier stands next to the king and he's got this baby by the leg. And he's holding the baby upside down. Do you know that story? Just another one of those terrible Bible stories, right? There's a lot of them. And the soldier has a sword. Now, you can imagine why, as a, as a five-year-old, an image like that would be burned into my memory, right? I think that image was burned into Solomon's memory as well. The story goes like this. Solomon is, is uh, um, sitting in court one day. He's making decisions for the people of the land. And these two women come in. Both of them prostitutes. Um, they both had children. Uh, one of the children was smothered in the night. Um, and so the other woman took the, uh, took the live baby and they swapped babies. Terrible. And then they, when they woke up, the, 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 uh, the mother of the live baby recognized that this is, 
The baby in her arms is not her baby. The other one is her baby. And so they go to the king to decide what should be done. And the king, hearing this argument, uh, decides that he knows exactly what to do to be able to determine um, which is the, the true mother of this child. And so he pretends that he's going to cut this baby in two. This is this violent act. And as he, as he says, this is the plan, one mother says, that's fine with me. If we can't both have them, neither of us should have one. And the other mother begs for mercy. Oh, king, please do not do that. And the king says, uh, now I know uh, which mother is uh, the real mother of this child. Again, just a terrible story that burns in our memory. And I imagine Solomon, as he's seeing this woman, he sees one woman who is so full of contempt for this child. And one woman who who is so moved with compassion and values the very life of this child, even if she herself doesn't get to keep the child. Um, He sees these two women play out in front of him, and he is moved. He knows exactly what to do. And I imagine that that image burned in his mind. He calls that memory back as he's describing to his son Choose the woman wisdom and forget the woman folly. How do we recognize the woman folly? She's so similar in so many ways to woman wisdom. How do we recognize her? She is a woman who is full of contempt. When given the opportunity to have something of infinite value, this precious life, she says, eh, If neither of us can have it, none of us can have it. Go ahead and let the baby be cut in two. She is a woman of contempt. How do we recognize foolishness? Well, in the same way that the fear of the Lord, the respect of the Lord, is the key part, the main ingredient to wisdom, so contempt is the key part for foolishness. I notice... To me, it seems that there is this, uh, this, uh, this, this great contempt that is moving through our culture. We are getting louder and louder about contempt. In fact, it is taking on uh, attributes of wisdom. We say that your capacity to care about what other people think, uh, that as that capacity grows, your wisdom grows, your skill in living grows. And so we are heartless towards each other. We are inconsiderate of each other. We have total contempt for anyone who thinks differently than we do, and we call that skill. We call that wisdom. But contempt is the key part, not to wisdom, but of foolishness. What is the work of the foolish woman, of folly, It's described in Proverbs in these terms. Proverbs says that foolishness is loud and wayward. And I just want to I just want to do a timeout and say there's a difference between when we're talking about loud, because I honestly I I personally um, uh, well I just sometimes feel like I'm just a really loud person. 
you know. Um, and so I want to make a clarification to cover my own tale and maybe, maybe yours as well, but uh, that there is a difference between personality and character. That it's possible to be naturally your personality to be a little bit more outgoing, maybe a little bit more loud, uh, and to actually have a gentle and quiet spirit, right? Um, a, a quiet confidence. Um, so I'm talking about character, a loud, obnoxious, mouthy, wayward character. It's foolishness. Foolishness is now in the street, now in the market. I love that line. Have you, uh, a, a fool is everywhere. Have you ever noticed that? Someone who values garbage as if it's a supreme worth finds themselves at all the key places in town. They're everywhere. You can't hardly escape them. Uh, it's foolishness. Foolishness is scoffing, imitating in a way as to, to make a joke of constantly, to, to ridicule, scoffing. Um, foolishness is ambushing the innocent. Foolishness has feet that runs to evil. Foolishness forgets the covenant of her God. This is foolishness, to have contempt. I, I, again, my most regrettable moments is when I had contempt for the person or situation I found myself in. And I am learning to recognize when I am feeling contemptuous, I am being a fool. It's a key indicator. Let me read to you the invitation now of the woman folly. Chapter 9, verse 13. The woman folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest places of the town, calling to those who pass by, who are going straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet. Bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. A woman folly is also inviting the simple, but she is not invi inviting them to skillful living. She's inviting them to their death. This sounds so familiar. Contempt is an indicator of the evil twin. Ultimately, it falls on each one of us to discern the voices that we're hearing whether in our head or outside, among our friends, uh, among the, the messages that we absorb, the bread that we eat, ultimately it lands on each one of us to decide whether we will accept the invitation of wisdom which leads to life or whether we will accept the invitation of folly which leads to death. I'd like to invite the worship team forward. There is an invitation to value quality. There's an invitation to take inventory of the thing you desire and ask yourself, is this of great worth or not? And then to value it. 
I was reminded recently of uh, the story of David and Bathsheba, and you know the story. David sees this opportunity. He sees this woman in front of him. He sees this man who has been very loyal to him. All of these things that are very precious, and he has contempt for them, right? He says, I will take that man's wife, and I will sleep with her. I will destroy that man's life. Um, I will ruin everything uh, uh, that has been precious to me. I will risk it all for this junk, right? Finally, he is confronted by Nathan. Nathan says, David, you are the man who sinned against the Lord and chose junk instead of quality. And the Lord says this, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, listen to this, he says, He says to David, I anointed you king over Israel and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this were too little, I would add to you as much more. In other words, David, you were at the moment of decision, choosing between quality or junk, right? You were making a wise decision or a foolish decision. And in that moment of decision, if you had just said to me, Lord, I guess I'm not satisfied with what you've given me. I would have given you that much more. Why have you despised contempt? Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. David, in that moment of decision, if you had turned to me, if you had respected me, if you had feared me and believed that I was the source of all good things, if you had called out to me, I would have been there in that moment. I would have brought some satisfaction to you. I would have led you in paths of wisdom. It's been a new, a new discipline for me as I find myself at that moment of decision when I'm choosing between what is skillful and what is foolish. When I have a word into my tongue, I'm about to say something contemptuous. Right there in that moment has become a, a new pattern for me to say to the Lord, I want to be funny. I want to insult this guy. It's right there, right? I want something more than what I currently have. Would you satisfy me? I'm going to accept your gift to me of uh, your gift of quality, of wisdom rather than foolishness. It is an invitation to value quality. The desperate invitation from a father to a son And I love that it even comes to the simple. If you're in this room and you say, not only am I simple, but I have have lived a lifetime of choosing poor quality. I have been the fool. I've got good news for you today. Today, in this room, the Spirit of God calls out to you as a father to a son, and he says, even in this moment, I invite you to wisdom. Even in this moment, I call you to value me. At the very beginning of all things, value me and let me reshape your life in ways that are skillful and lead to life. I'm calling you to wisdom.
understand? As many of you know, we have a, 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 we've provided a, a number of ways to respond this morning to the Lord. There is uh, communion tables set up around the room. Help yourself. Uh, enjoy connecting with the Lord and remembering his shed blood, his broken body. So offering receptacles around the room. Great time to uh, be generous towards the ministry of Church on the Rock and his kingdom. Uh, there's people that would be glad to pray with you about anything, any situation where you are looking for wisdom in order to skillfully navigate. They'd love to pray with you. Of course, we want to celebrate the Lord through song too and remember his character. Let it equip us for a week of wise decisions ahead. Remembering his character, being renewed, reminded of that, that we might choose and value him above all things. There we go. The, uh, the metaphor used here for wisdom is pretty uh, gender specific. We're talking about a woman. But of course you realize that's a metaphor for an invitation that is gender neutral. It is an invitation to every one of us to step into wisdom, to avoid and step out of contempt, and step into valuing things that are really valuable. Of course, one of the greatest ways to value something that is worth valuing is to invest in it. And so there is an invitation to daily find yourself calling out to the Lord, give me what's ultimately valuable. Give me your wisdom. I need it this day, in these situations, in these moments. To call out for it and even to crack that book open and to spend even, even seconds, if not moments, taking in the voice of God through his scripture, right? Uh, an invitation to invest in wisdom. May you and I have contempt for the excuses. May you and I pursue a healthy investment into becoming a person of wisdom. Amen? Yeah, at least Scott and I. Yeah. <laughs> you and me. Yep, that's great. Well, the Lord bless you as you pursue what is ultimately valuable. All right. Uh, I want to remind you that tonight house churches are happening, youth group is happening, we're up and running, everything's just as it should be. So the Lord bless you. Uh, we'll see you next week. You're dismissed. <laughs>